Awesome. How are we, church? You doing well? It's great to be with you this morning. And uh, first Sunday in February, can you believe it? Usually February, uh, for, at least for the last couple of years in this church, usually it is a time where uh, we, I guess, set a bit of tone, we talk about vision, we talk about really where God wants to take us over the next 12 months, and uh, we're about to launch into a brand new series today called Ecclesia, and we really felt to go in a different direction, not that we don't have a vision, but we would rather more talk about and reinforce the values and the culture from a biblical perspective of who we are as a church. You know, I think you can have the world's greatest vision in a church, but if you don't have the values and the culture to underpin that and reinforce it, all that vision will ever be will be a nice pretty poster that sits in the, in the foyer but means absolutely nothing. And so over the next four weeks, we really want to uh, dig down into the values and the culture of who we are as a church according to a biblical definition. I think sometimes in church we can get so easily chasing the new. It's all about the new. It's all about the new thing that God is doing. But sometimes I think it's about putting a fresh spirit on some old truths. Would you agree with that this morning? And so if we're to look at the word simply to start off today, the word ecclesia is a Greek word and simply means a called out group of people or a called out assembly. More specifically, if we were to bring it into a church context, it is a called out group of people by God. And so today we have gathered as the Ecclesia, as the called out group of people by God. We've uh, brought modern language around that and we now call it the church. And here's something that we need to establish right from the get-go in this series, is the church is not a building. The church is not 258 Spring Street. It's the venue where the church meets, but the church is not a building. Here's the second thing we need to recognise about the Ecclesia this morning. The church is not a brand. I think modern churches, sometimes we can get it so easily mixed up and we think, how do we promote the brand of Civic? The church is not a building and the church is not a brand. Now, the Bible clearly defines the church as the bride, the bride of Christ. Paul also describes the church, the ecclesia, the group of people called out by God as the body. And so the church should really be seen as a living organism growing and moving together rather than bricks and mortar and a brand that we promote to the world. And so once we've laid that foundation, we can then springboard into what does the, when when Jesus said these words, I will build my church, Notice that it was Jesus that said he would build church, not man. I will build my church. We then can dig down and discover when Jesus said that, what was the church that he had in his heart and his mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. And so that's our foundation. That's our bedrock over the next four weeks of the Ecclesia series. And so with that being said, why don't we pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you that it can challenge us. It can change us. It can encourage us. God, we recognize this morning that you are the head of the church. Not a pastor, not a man, but you. God is the head of the church. 
And so, God, over the next month, over the next four Sundays, in our small groups, in One Hour Connects, we want to lean into what your Holy Spirit is saying to the church so that you might get the glory, so that you might be honoured in our actions and deed and word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, sport in summer has the ability to deliver some iconic moments, whether it be the cricket field or the tennis. Now, admittedly, I'm not a huge fan of the sport of tennis, but I couldn't help but appreciate the iconic moment that occurred last Sunday when a young Italian won the Grand Slam on Sunday evening. Young Italian wins his first Grand Slam. Like I said, I'm not a huge fan of tennis, but it was a great sporting moment that was delivered to the public. But one conversation that often will prick and generate my interest is this conversation about who is the goat of tennis? Who is the greatest of all time when it comes to tennis? Of course, the three big names, at least in the modern era, that come up are Novak, the Serb, Roger, the Swiss, and Nadal, the Spaniard. If you have no idea who I'm talking about, then the next seven minutes is probably going to be lost on you. But we have three incredible athletes at the top of their game. We've got Novak, who many people think he's arrogant, but he does have the most Grand Slam titles. And so there is the argument that Novak is the GOAT. He is the greatest player to ever pick up a racket. And then we've got Roger, Mr. Nice Guy, who's only got 20 titles, but he was the first 220 titles. And because of his demeanour and his persona, he has drawn thousands, if not millions, to the game through television and also to participate in the sport. And then we have Nadal, who's really just an enigma. No one really gets Nadal, but he has won 22 Grand Slam titles. And so this conversation rages on of who is the GOAT. In fact, it bleeds into other sports with basketball. Many people believe that Michael Jordan is the GOAT of basketball, but then there is the argument that LeBron James could possibly be the GOAT. And so this conversation in sporting arenas of who is the greatest of all time. When you think about that question, who is the greatest, not just in a sporting sense, but in any sense, it's so subjective because most of us, if not all of us, we all have different criteria to how we measure greatness. You know, there's a conversation in the Bible that takes place with Jesus' disciples talking about greatness. And more specifically, they're talking about amongst them, amongst Jesus' followers, who is the greatest? Which seems a little bit bizarre to me, considering that they had Jesus with them all the time, uh, and he wasn't even considered in the conversation amongst Jesus' disciples. But if you do have your Bibles with you, I'd love it if you could turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to read two verses. And it says this, after they arrived in Capernaum and settled into a house, Jesus asked his disciples what they were discussing out on the road. But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Who was the goat disciple, if you will? He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place. And be the servant of everyone else. Matthew chapter 23 verse 11. He 
echoes a similar sentiment where he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. There's two observations that we can take out of Mark chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 23. The first observation is Jesus never discourages his followers and Christians from pursuing greatness. I think sometimes in the church we can feel a little bit guilty for pursuing greatness in our various spheres. And we think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be ambitious. Maybe I shouldn't go after that. But Jesus never discourages his followers and his disciples, Christians, the church, from pursuing greatness. That's the first observation. The second observation that we can take away is that he redefines what greatness is from a kingdom perspective. Jesus says, how do you spell greatness in the kingdom of God? It's spelled S-E-R-V-E. I practiced that three times this morning, make sure I spelt it correctly. How do you spell greatness? Serve. When Jesus is defining, you know what? You know what greatness is? Greatness is when you serve one another. And so it's under that new definition that we now have from Jesus that I'd actually like to offer a fourth contender for the goat of tennis. Not just a person, but a group of people. See, this is who I think the goats of tennis are, if we can have that image up. These are the goats of tennis. Have you ever tried to play tennis when someone doesn't fetch you the ball? It's not real fun. And yet over 400 of these goats at the Australian Open over two weeks, sometimes in 30 degree plus heat, would run around, grab their sweaty towels, hold the ball up, wear the cool little flap hats. You know they have training and trials for these guys? You actually have to trial to be a ball kid? These are the real goats of Australia tennis if we're to understand the way greatness is defined by Jesus. Jesus is and was our ultimate example. He said these words when he arrived at earth, I haven't come to be served, but to serve. You might have heard it said that absolute power corrupts absolutely, but not so with Jesus. Here he stood as both man and God, all powerful and all authority under his name. He had the power and what does he do? He serves. Oh, what an example for us today here in 2024. Martin Luther King said it this way. Everyone can be great because anybody can serve. Serving isn't just the job of a Christian. It's the mark of a Christian. And I think deep in our core, if we were to be self-reflective this morning and if we were to be honest with ourselves today, we all have that insatiable desire for some form of greatness. And for others, it's uh, large and we think about it often and, and, uh, and for others, maybe it's a little bit smaller, but we all have a desire to be great and pursue greatness. But here's what we need to recognize, church. The path to greatness isn't through proving or improving. It's not through struggling or striving. It's through serving. Married couples here today. You know what? You know the secret to a great marriage? 
The path to a great marriage, learn to serve one another. Families here today, you want to have a great family, a great harmonious environment in which to raise your kids? What's the pathway? What's the key to unlock that door? What's the silver bullet? Well, there's probably many things, but one of the main things is learn to serve one another. You want great friendships. You want great workplace environment. You want a great school environment. You want a great university environment. You know what the secret is? The secret source? Learn to serve one another. You know what the path and the journey to a great church is? We're talking about Ecclesia. We're talking about a called out group of people, the church that God has in his heart when Jesus said, I will build my church. You know, one of the things that Jesus had in his mind when he said that statement is a group of called out people by God that learned to serve one another. And here's my question that I would love to throw out to us week one of this brand new series. What would happen to the church, specifically civic church, what would happen to our church if we learn to serve one another like Jesus served? What would happen to a church if we served like Jesus served? In John chapter 13, we witness one of the most confronting and yet moving examples of servanthood by Jesus. John chapter 13, there's a lot happening in that particular chapter, but the circumstances around John chapter 13 is they're sitting down for a meal and Jesus is conversing with his disciples. And then we read that Jesus gets up from the table, walks out of the room, strips down and returns with a warm bucket and begins and proceeds to wash Simon Peter's feet. And then he says these words after he has gone through this process. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Jesus extends an invitation to his followers, to the church, to serve like he served. He sets an example. You know the word example in the Greek means this, the original copy in which to follow. Bible says that Jesus set an example. So Jesus is the original copy in which us, the church, followers, believers in Jesus, ought follow. Here's the full disclosure. Here's the full confession, church. I find that really hard. And I think if you're honest with yourself today, you should confess that too. On our Sunday team shirt, you might have seen it as you walked in the foyer, it says the statement, here to help. I think that's an unnatural statement. Because that's not our natural inclination to want to help. Serving doesn't come naturally, at least for me. It's something that I have to work at. It's something that God has to continue to grow me through. Why? Because we live in a world that preaches a completely different approach to what Jesus taught. In fact, the world preaches, yes, yeah, serve for a while, but do it with a motive and do it with an agenda so that you can ascend the ladder of power, you can climb the hill of influence 
so that one day you will no longer have to serve, but you can be served. That's the goal, right? You know you've arrived when you've ascended that hill, you've climbed that ladder, and you can sit back and think, you know what? I am the man. People now serve me. That's the message that our world preaches. And we have an undercurrent, and yes, it is an undercurrent of modern individualism that this culture lures us in to turn inward, to be insular, and to have a self-centered universe. Turn inward, be insular, and my life orbits around planet Jared. Population me. You know what that creates? It creates high entitlement and low empathy. High entitlement, what does that mean, Jared? We become loud about everything that should be happening. Low empathy, we become real quiet about doing anything about it. High entitlement, low empathy. In other words, we call them sideline experts. Mondays are my day off, and one of the things that I have started doing on my Mondays is watching American football. Most of the time, I have no idea what's going on. I don't have a team. I just like watching it because Americans just seem to do everything big and bold and out there. God bless America. But you know what I've found over the last couple of Mondays? I've been sitting in my lounge chair, and I've started to become quite the expert with American football. have no idea what's going on. But I'm yelling at the TV saying, punt it, throw it. I have never punted an American football in my life. I have never played the quarterback position. But after three games, all of a sudden, I'm an expert on the game of American football. You know what? I think that can be a little bit like life. We can sit on the sidelines, high entitlement, low empathy. This is what should be happening in the church. This is what should be happening in our country. Are you prepared to do anything about it, sir? No. High entitlement, low empathy. And this is the extension of the reality that we build when we centre our lives on us. But you know what entitlement is? Entitlement is the precursor to pride. I find myself so very easily after the grocery shopping and I've packed the car and I've got my trolley, sometimes I'll think, should I take the trolley back? Or should I just leave it in the car park? Now, sometimes I'll say, you know what? If I leave the trolley there, I'm giving someone a job. That's my good deed for the day. But you know what that is? That's camouflaging the pride. You know who I am? I'm Pastor Jared. I don't need to take that trolley back to the trolley bay. Sometimes I find myself at McDonald's more often than I'd like. And I have the tray there and I finish my meal. And I think, you know what, should I slide it into the bin? And then you get the bin juice on your hands. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? And I think, you know what, I'll just leave the tray and the, I'm giving that 15-year-old kid a job. I'm, I'm moving the economy forward, people. You know what I'm doing? I'm camouflaging my pride. I, I, I don't have time to put that in the bin. That's someone else's job. High entitlement, low empathy. Jesus says in John chapter 13, And since I, your Lord and Rabbi, serve, how much more should you? There are no exceptions. Jesus doesn't give us any exceptions. No matter your age, ethnicity, or gender, 
everyone is to serve. And here's what I would say. If serving is beneath you, then understanding the kingdom of God may be beyond you. If you're here today and thinking, do you know who I am, Jared? Do you have any idea what I have to deal with day to day? I'm just reading scripture, friend. If serving is beneath you, then understanding the kingdom and how the kingdom works may be beyond you. And here's what I'd love this morning. I'd love John chapter 13. We don't have the time, but I would love it if you would go away. And I would love it if it would shape you and it would shake you. Picture Jesus, King of the universe, Lord of lords. Picture Jesus, your Savior, lowering himself. It's almost that feeling of embarrassment, lowering himself to wash the feet of one of his followers. I would love it if that would inspire us, that it would change us, that it would challenge us. God, how can I take the posture of a servant today? Let it change our pride, church. One of the common phrases or two common phrases I often hear from people in the church, particularly at the start of each year, is they have a real resolution or a real goal to grow. Grow in God. I want to grow in God. And the second one is, and this is usually a year-round statement when I'm catching up with people, is I want to know what God's will is for my life. Two really good statements. I want to grow in the things of God and I want to know what God's will for my life is. And here's how I would answer those two phrases. Your purpose on this earth and God's will for your life is intricately entwined with serving. Your purpose and God's will for your life is intricately intertwined with serving. And for people here to say, I want to grow in God, one of the fastest ways that you can grow and mature is to serve, is to join a team and work alongside other people. And you might think, well, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works. You get into an environment where there's other people with other opinions and different ideas of how to do things. All of a sudden, all the issues that perhaps have sat beneath the surface when you've had to work by yourself, when you start to work in a team-based environment, when you have to work with people that maybe just get under your skin a little bit, that maybe in the lunchroom, they chew with their mouth open, all of a sudden these little issues start to arise. And you know what happens when the issues start to arise, then the Holy Spirit can go to work and can start to address some of the things that you've concealed because you've only ever worked by yourself. And so one of the fastest ways that you can grow and spiritually mature in God is to serve and join a team. The inconvenience and challenges that we encounter when we serve on a team and serve others are actually the very things that God will use for growth. And so we can have two approaches. We can continue to complain 
and whinge to God about how this other person annoys me. No, I'm not going to serve because I don't like the people on that team. Or we can say, you know what, God, do a new work in my life and grow me through this process. Because God always will use pain for a greater purpose. So we're talking about serving one another this morning. First week of Ecclesia. I believe that preaching shouldn't just speak to our hearts on a Sunday. It should also move our hands on a Monday too. So this morning, let's not just talk about serving. I'd pray that we'd be compelled into action. One of the ways that I can help you do that is I'm about to show you some statistics. Now, these statistics were provided by our volunteers pastor, Pastor Kerry. Where is Pastor Kerry? Give Pastor Kerry a wave. One of the things as a church that we have dedicated, that we take serving and volunteering quite seriously is that we've dedicated a role, which at the moment Pastor Kerry holds, in making sure that our volunteers are well cared for and making sure that they're doing well. Because Sadly, churches don't have a great reputation of how they treat their volunteers. Sadly, over the years, churches have used volunteers as vision fodder, which means I'll just use these people as giving units to get where I want to be. Can I tell you right now, this church has never been about that. We genuinely want to see you do well. And there's been times where we have actually asked people not to serve on a team because of everything else that is happening in their life. Your care and well-being is more important than where we need to get to as a church. Is that fair? Here's some statistics that I'd love to show if we can throw that up on the screen, guys. So what I got Kerry to do, Kerry, I said, can we have the statistics of what we have on team at the moment and what would be our ideal so that we could fully flourish in these areas? And so this is not every area of the church, but these are some of the main ones. So right at the top, we have coffee bar, the dispensers of Christian alcohol, all right? (laughs) At the moment, we have 11 people serving on that to increase the flow of heaven's nectar. How many people would think that's a good idea? We need another 13 people to jump on the coffee bar team. We've got band. We've got 20 people that serve week in, week out. I don't think Kev Gedit or Jeff Kieski have a week off sometimes. They just live here. I mean, they've just got a little hut behind here and they're just here week in, week out. We need another eight people to help out in the band. We've got production, people that serve behind the scenes. Let me tell you, we need to erode and get rid of this idea that getting on the platform under the lights is when you have fully arrived. I remember, I remember going to a church, visiting a church and seeing how they did things. And they had a poster in their back room where their production guys were and it said this, never forget you always serve on a platform, sometimes just not under lights. And so we got a production team, guys up the back, guys in this room, guys out here that do a brilliant job. They don't just uh, broadcast here, but broadcast online as well. We've got kids, civic kids, who's grateful for our civic kids You know, for far too long, sometimes I think we can look down on the position of Civic Kids volunteers and we pity them. But they are doing an incredible job in discipling and fostering the next generation for the things of God. Wouldn't that be something that you'd want to be a part of? 
raucous applause. <laughs> Welcome team. Another six. Chapel team. Another five. And bus driver. We don't have, we don't have any bus drivers at the moment. You've all lost your licence. <laughs> Listen to me. This church has never been about guilting or manipulating or deceiving or begging anyone into serving. And so hear our hearts this morning. We're not trying to twist your arm to say, hey, come and be part of the team. Here's what I know about begging someone to do something. Begging or pleading with someone to do something will make them want to do it less. How do I know that? I'm the father of a teenager. So I'm not going to beg and I'm not going to plead. But here's what I will say. You're missing out on a golden opportunity. You're missing out on a golden opportunity to be a part of something great. There's a universal rule that pastors and leaders are constantly trying to reverse in the church. And it's the 80-20 rule. That 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I just happen to believe that great churches are not built on the gifts of a few, but great churches, the great ecclesia, are built on the sacrifices of many. The pearl of a great price is for only people who value it. A couple of years ago, there was a conversation that took place with someone who was serving on Sunday teams. And I think it was one of their first times that they were serving. And I approached them and said, you know what? It's just so good to see you serving. And he said, yeah, but I'm, I'm just on Sunday teams. And I said, no, no, no. And I corrected him right there. You're not just on Sunday teams. You play a key role in creating the environment for this church so often we can downplay the roles that don't get the spotlight the notoriety and simply carrying a torch to usher someone to a seat we look at that and think ah there's nothing significant in that there is something significant about serving one another the called out group of people. I don't know where you're currently sitting. I don't know where you're currently at with serving. And whether you volunteer as part of Civic, that's a conversation between you and God. But here's what I do know. You can have the posture of servanthood every day of the week. You don't have to wait for a Sunday service. Here's what I do pray in week one of this series. I pray that maybe you are sitting in your seat right now and you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Not guilty because we know that guilt and shame don't come from God. So it's not about trying to make you feel guilty. But maybe you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I pray that the Holy Spirit takes you on a journey. And for some of us, it'll take six minutes others it'll take six months like I said we've never been about pushing or deceiving or twisting someone's arm 
but that the Holy Spirit would move you from a place of comfort and looking at being part of a church as a consumer that God might actually gently take you from consumer to contributor. One of the major problems of the Western church is that we've allowed this idea of entitlement and entertainment to mess with how we view church. And so we can come on a Sunday and we think, I'm here, pastor, you better entertain me. You got 70 minutes to do your thing. And then we wonder why we don't grow in God. Because our posture is, but if we could embrace Jesus' words about serving one another, throw ourselves into the deep end. I'm not expecting that on Monday morning, Kerry's email inbox will be flooded by request to volunteer. Maybe it will be. Maybe it will be. And when she does send you that training, do it. The spirit might be willing, but the flesh is weak. Can anyone say amen to that? Really? You know what? We have done our absolute best. In a modern day mission field, we have done our absolute best to eliminate as many obstacles, but to still honour the laws of the land. How many people know that you are thankful to be a part of a church that actually plays by the rules and not cuts corners and takes shortcuts? But this is more than just about jumping on a volunteer. This is a, this is a heart shift. This isn't about an external change. This is an internal change. Come on, why don't you stand with me? Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, this morning, God, as hard as it can be, take our eyes off ourselves. Put it on other people around us. The needs from week to week, from day to day, in our families, in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our churches. God, what would the church look like if we served like Jesus served? If we took the humble road of lowering ourselves, removing the entitlement, removing the pride, saying to God, here I am, wherever you want me to serve. I'll take that posture. I just want to follow you. And I want to follow your original copy, Jesus, of how you served. God, our heart is not to build a brand of a church but to be the bride of Christ. To bring no glory to the name Civic, but to bring glory to the name of Jesus. That your name would be lifted high above every other thing. God, that you might move us from a position of consumer to contributor to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
God bless you, church. I pray that helped. I pray that brought some clarity. I trust you come back for week two. (laughs) We love you, church. Go and have a coffee. Enjoy the day. And we'll see you next Sunday.